Hello and welcome to Automators, the podcast about grabbing your technology, hardware or software and making it do all of that hard work for you. My name is Rosemary Rochard and I'm joined as always by David Sparks. Hey David, how are you? I am great, Rose. So nice to be talking to you today. I got sick last week, so we had to delay our regular recording and I missed you. Well, I, you know, I was all ready to record as well. Uh, I wasn't actually at home last week. I was going to be recording uh, on a location elsewhere. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I saved it. We put some stuff in the uh, the show notes. We've been having some fun and it gave us a little more time to dive into the Automator's Max topic, which is going to be about automation notion for yeah. our lovely Automator's Max listeners. Um, but yeah, it also gave me a little time to work on an announcement that I've got for today's show because yeah, there's some cool stuff coming. Yeah, I can't wait to share that. Do, are you at the point now, Rose, like where you're like itching to put, you know, the latest builds on all of your production devices? Are you feeling it yet? Are you feeling the pull? I mean, yes and no. I haven't really, like I've been playing with um, the Mac OS Sonoma beta on and off. And like, I like it. Um, and part of me really wants to just be like, install everything everywhere. And the other part of me is like, eh, I'm... I want to keep like one iOS or in my case, iPad OS device, not on the beta. And when it comes to my, my Macs, um, I've been using, um, with works permission, obviously, uh, my, one of my personal laptops also for work. So, you know, I, I have it set up so I can do that. And because of that, I really don't want to put the Mac OS beta on there. So I've got it on a separate laptop and I can't put it on my Mac Studio because that's my recording machine. And I don't want Jim, our lovely editor, to murder me when things inevitably go wrong um, during the beta process. So yeah, I've I've not been playing with the Mac stuff as much, but iPad OS and uh and uh iOS, yeah, yeah, and, and watch OS is it's it's on everything, <laughs> pretty much. Like I've got one iPad mini that isn't running iOS 17 just in case my banking app decides that it's gonna lock me out because I'm using the beta, which it usually does and this year hasn't happened. Well, the ship has sailed on the iOS stuff. I have already done all that <laughs> but the uh but i i just went on my mac now but we need for the recording tools we used to make the podcast i can't do it yet but i and i don't even have a really good reason but i just want it now because i've got it on everything else you know it, it, it there is a thing like i call it beta inflation the more devices mm-hmm. you put it on the more you want to put it on yeah yeah it just multiplies it's like it's it's the beta triples they're, they're just everywhere yes it is it's tough it's tough rose it's hard on me but at the same time, like I, I did have a little issue with my iPhone overheating at one point. Um, but I think that was also I was using a different case at the time, and I feel like the case was doing something a little weird with MagSafe or something. And I usually charge with MagSafe, so I feel like that may not have been purely iOS. I feel like that could have been hardware, but not iPhone hardware as a problem. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, but you know, aside from that, I feel like I've been very lucky this beta season. Like I feel like I've been saying that in a lot of years recently. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I obviously had an issue with shortcuts crashing on launch, um, due to something going weird, um, which has been fixed in, in beta one, but, um, yeah, been surprisingly lucky when it comes to this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a, I, I think overall, it's been a pretty good year. We we're calling it quality of life at WWDC and that that's really stuck for me. I feel like that's what we're getting. Um, we will be covering it here on the automators when they release it. Uh, mm-hmm. there's a bunch of new automation stuff. We've talked about some of it, but we haven't really gone into the weeds with it yet because it was all in beta. When the time comes gang, you will get the whole story from us. But, uh, but before we get into today's topic, 
you teased us with an announcement, Rose. What's going on? Yeah. So uh, as I'm sure uh, listeners of the show have heard at some point uh, recently, um, Alex Hay, who uh, was a wonderful developer, uh, created apps like Toolbox Pro, Logger for Shortcuts, and Nautomate, which are shortcuts to automate Notion, uh, sadly passed away earlier this year. Um, and obviously, you know, this is very sad for all of us because he was a fabulous developer and very supportive of other developers and shortcuts creators um, in, you know, just talking to people and setting up demo code that people could play with, passing in feedback to Apple and so on. And obviously also he's, you know, he's been on the show before. You can go back and listen to his episode. Um, just a lovely guy. Um, but I feel like a lot of people were also left going, what's going to happen to my shortcuts that we're using Toolbox Pro actions or an automate actions or logger? Yeah. Um, and I actually have some very good news uh, because uh, so I founded a little development company with a couple of friends of mine uh, last year, the year, end of the year before. Um, and uh, we were able to talk to Alex's family. And the great news is, is we have taken over Toolbox Pro, Nautomate and Logger. So all of Alex's apps um, and they are now living with us. Um, so we're going to make a point uh, to donate a chunk of any proceeds that we get out of this um, to charity um, in Alex's name, obviously. Uh, we're not going to be suddenly turning everything into, you know, uh, you know, a really high priced app. We're going to keep everything running the way it was, you know, when Alex set it up. Um, and we're just going to continue to update things and make sure that everything is going to continue to work um, in the future and hopefully do some new releases and new features on stuff as well. We've already got a couple of little ideas on things. And uh, yeah, it's really exciting that we get to uh, take over these apps, which are so important to the community. Yeah, it was so tragic because Alex was awesome and, you know, quality person, but also just killer developer and gave us so many of the, the best tools in shortcuts were through those add-ons. So I'm really glad mm -hmm. that you guys are able to honor the legacy, but also keep adding and growing upon the legacy. So uh, if, of all the people in the world, I can't think of anyone better rose than you to shepherd it. And I'm really so happy to hear this news. I'm glad we can share it with the world and, and let folks know that those apps are no longer, you know, they're, they're still going to be supported, developed and even expanded upon. So if you're interested in them, go check them out. We'll put some links in the show notes. And, mm -hmm. uh, just, uh, you know, it's, it's a tragic situation, but this little part of it has a happy ending that these, these excellent applications are going to continue. And, and I wish you and your gang all the best of luck with this rose. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm just glad that we, you know, we were able to, you know, talk to Alex's family and, and make sure that, you know, they also don't have to deal with, you know, what is an app on the app store and all of these things. Because if you're not a developer and you're not experienced with any of this, I can imagine it must be very overwhelming. So yeah. hopefully, fingers crossed, we've managed to relieve them of a little burden there. And uh, yeah, and, you know, keep something running for the community, which is, I think, I hope what Alex would have wanted. Um, yeah. Oh, well, I'm we, sure we it is. basically just I want to keep sure it running. It yeah. And I know so many of the actions that he added in Toolbox Pro, you know, the very first Toolbox Pro, they kind of got Sherlocked by the, the shortcuts team, but in a good way. Like he was happy about it. He was like, yeah. these actions are going to go away because they're now part of shortcuts. This is great. And I, I ran into the limit on the actions that I could add. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, we're hoping that that's going to continue to happen. Yeah, that was such a fun interview too. Uh, well, it's just great, Rose, that you are, I, like I said, I couldn't be happier for uh, these applications that they're going to continue to exist in, in Alex's memory. And, and not only, like I said, you guys aren't just planning to maintain them, but you're 
maintaining to grow upon them. And that's awesome. Uh, so, uh, one other thing, you know, we do have automators max, which is the extended ad free version of the show. As Rose talked about earlier today, we're going to be talking about automating notion. Uh, I have for a strange reason, suddenly found myself using notion daily. So I want to build an automation. I thought it'd be fun to talk about my thoughts about automating going in cold. And we're going to talk about that in extended version today. So that'll be fun. But today's show is all about vanilla home kit and, I, I kind of like this topic. I'm a little nervous by it. So to give you a little background, we've covered HomeKit several times, but Rose and I very quickly like to go down the rabbit hole of HomeKit. How far can we go with it? You know, uh, both of us are home assistant owners and users. And I got an email from a listener asking what she can do with HomeKit, even though, she, and then to quote her email, what can I do with HomeKit, even though I don't have home assistant and all the other toys you and Rose talk about? That's what she said. And I thought, you know what? She's right. We don't stop at that that intermediate level of HomeKit enough, you know, because we're automators. We want to go deeper. But I know we have listeners that don't want to get the extra toys and don't want to mm-hmm. deal with Home Assistant. And, you know, well, let's do a HomeKit show where we talk about HomeKit in its vanilla form. And honestly, that's what the vast majority of people are doing with HomeKit. So, of course, we should cover it. And uh, I thought we'd do that today. Yeah, yeah. The the only thing I'm going to say about this is it's kind of like dipping your toe into like the shallow end of the swimming pool with this. You're going to, you know, start out with, you know, some things and then at some point you're going to run into a limitation and then you're going to run into another limitation. Suddenly it's going to feel like it's all limitations. Um, and when that happens, remember, that's not necessarily uh, smart home in general. You know, there are obviously some things that smart homes are not yet capable of doing. Uh, I've yet to figure out actually how to get an, uh, like an automated Jeeves uh, that's not creepy, who can just like, you know, deal with all of the life things for me and produce food at exactly the time that I need, exactly what I want without me actually, you know, voicing anything. Um, but, you know, th- there there's, you know, a lot that smart home can do. But when you start running into limitations, if you're just using HomeKit, uh, you know, be prepared for some of, at least some of that to be the fact that you're just using HomeKit and you're not involving anything else. With that said, I'm also going to say, if you're using HomeKit, like try and just do everything in HomeKit. And we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go. But, you know, there's there's a lot that you can do in HomeKit and it's got a lot better, especially with iOS 17, I have to say. Some of the the automations, like when you convert them to shortcuts, uh, they've they've got a lot more powerful. So that's always a good sign. Yeah, and I think that's where we start. You know, what is the state of HomeKit today? And granted, we're right in this transition period between iOS 16 and 17, but I would agree with Rose. I think it's it's actually a lot better than it used to be. Um, Apple uh, does understand most people don't go beyond HomeKit, so they've been adding features. Um, to just tack onto Rose's caveat above, the, I think the real the real frustration with HomeKit becomes with the automation. It's not turning the lights off and on. You can do that easy enough with HomeKit, but the, you know, the conditional automation and the stuff that we like to talk about, you just don't get that with this, but that's okay. If you just want to kind of like get your toes wet and spend some time doing that and just get comfortable with that before you take it to the next level. Or uh, like uh, my family, like even though I have all this extra stuff, they don't do any of that stuff. They just open HomeKit and that's, mm-hmm. That's it for them. So, you know, how can we help them make it a better experience? One of the things I would say when it comes to, you know, friends and family members um, on this stuff 
is, uh, you know, it's super tempting to be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go for like smart lights. It's going to be great. And then like you put a smart light bulb in and then somebody comes along and they flick the button and it uh, it doesn't work um, because, you know, you set it up hopefully so that when um, power disappears from the smart light, it restores its previous power state uh, because otherwise you get turned on if there's like a power flicker at 3 a.m. Trust me, restore power state is really, really good for anything light based. Yeah. But the problem with that is that's an instead of. So you've taken something away from folks. So, you know, like it, you have to think about these things if there's going to be other people involved in, you know, and rather than instead. So in, it's not instead of using the light switch, you pull out your phone or talk to a home pod or there's a motion sensor. Um, it's as well as a light switch. You can talk to a home pod, pull out your phone or, you know, um, you know, uh, wave at a motion sensor. You know, hopefully the motion sensor would just see you. Um, and, and I feel like that's, that's always a good place to start regardless of, you know, what home, what smart home stuff you're doing, you know, it's, it's, and it's not instead for, for all of this. What do you see as the current status of home kit and matter? We've talked about matter on the show before. It's the universal standard that kind of the industry has decided that nobody's going to own all of this with their standards. So they've come up with a common standard. Uh, but as people are interested in this, how much does matter matter right now well first before before i say that i am just going to mention thread as well because i feel like people kind of feel like matter is thread and it yeah. isn't um if, if you think of um you know thread thread is basically kind of like wi-fi in in some ways or bluetooth um it, it, it it's it's an advancement on bluetooth more or less but that is like a protocol for things to talk to each other okay so just like your Mac can use Wi-Fi to connect to the internet. It could also connect via Ethernet. Ethernet's a different protocol, but it's still going to get onto the internet. Matter is the thing that says, and here is how the internet works, um, more or less. Um, so, um, you know, when it comes to, to Matter, I feel like Matter is actually, it's getting more and more important as far as HomeKit is concerned, especially with regards to the fact that, um, you know, you can then bring devices into HomeKit that weren't previously HomeKit compatible, by buying a Matter Hub or using a Matter Hub and having those devices connected to it. Um, so I have um, SwitchBot. I have SwitchBot curtains. Um, and previously, I was not able to get those into HomeKit natively. Um, I would have had to go through um, HomeBridge, which is what I did originally. And then uh, later I moved to using Home Assistant for that. Um, now I can buy a SwitchBot Smart Hub and add that to it's the matter based one uh, it's got a little um temperature dial in it and uh like temperature screen and everything built into it which is very nice and i can connect that to the curtains and connect that to homekit and voila my curtains are now in homekit without me having to use homebridge or home assistant so i feel like it's incredibly important from that sense also incredibly important for multi protocol households protocols possibly the wrong word here but say for example your household has got um you know some some of the echo smart speakers in it um and you also have iphones well if you want to be able to connect things to both your home kit home but also be able to talk to you know the echo speaker that's in the kitchen well matter means that you can do that because master's protocol requires that devices can connect to more than one thing it can connect to multiple um, you know, sources uh, or 
controllers. I, I don't really know what the right term for that is, but either way, it can connect to, to multiple uh, setups so that you can have it both in um, ALEXA. I'm not going to say the word because otherwise I'll trigger a bunch of smart speakers, sure. yeah. uh, as well as HomeKit stuff. And that is really great. Um, and also some of those Echo smart speakers have Matter Hubs built in, which means that you can connect stuff to those and then share it to HomeKit. Kind of amazing, really. Um, so yeah, I think Matter matters a lot. That doesn't mean you have to rush out and replace everything that you've already got. Absolutely not. Don't need to do that. Um, but keep an eye out for things like um, hubs uh, and things like that, which will allow you to connect devices that were somewhat smart before um, into HomeKit and make them much smarter. Yeah, I feel like what Matter does is it makes the case for vanilla HomeKit even better in some ways because it just makes it easier to connect new things. Whereas before, you'd have to go to something like Home Assistant to make a third-party device work. Well, hopefully that'll be less necessary going into the future as matter takes off and becomes more universal. And we're already yeah. seeing that effect. It's been, what, about a year now? And I feel like in another couple of years, it's going to be really set in that all devices are going to be matter devices. Yeah. Yeah. And at the matter at the moment, matter isn't, you know, fully formed. They are still working on it. So it doesn't support things like cameras and so on yet. Um, that that doesn't mean the cameras won't come. They have said, you know, and they're, they're obviously working on this, that cameras are coming. But it means that, for example, that new Akara doorbell that I bought um, a month or so ago, which we'll, we'll get to a little bit later on the show, um, it, that doesn't support matter yet. And it's not that it can't support matter it's just that the matter protocol isn't ready for it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm crossing my fingers. I'm pretty certain that one is going to support it. A car have been very good at supporting um, matter based things. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's not there for everything yet, but it's coming. And then lastly, before we, we get into the weeds, we're not going to bang your head over it the whole time, but you know, what are the things that people get from going to the next level, like home assistant and the other toys? that they don't get with HomeKit. And uh, for me, I'll tell you that it's automation really is the, the automation stuff just gets better when you can have a more complex automation logic. And a HomeKit has a very simple logic. You know, it's like there's a trigger and there's an action and that's pretty much it. When you get into something like Home Assistant, you get multiple triggers, multiple actions. It, it really is next level compared to the basics of HomeKit. What would yeah. you add to that, Rose? I would add not not only that, but it's it's logging. So iOS 17 has added logging um, to HomeKit for security devices. That's it. Um, yeah. So I can see, for example, I have some some smart locks and so on. I can see their history, and um, when I when I um, tap on one of the the locks and and go into the settings, then I can uh, specify um, that uh, I want the uh, the the uh, information logged for a month um that's that's set up actually on your your home settings if folks are looking in the beta it took me a little while to find it the other day so you tap on the three dots in the right hand corner of um the home app and it's under home settings if you're running ios 17 that's an important caveat you need to be running ios 17 um and then yeah you, you can go and, and dive in down there um under safety and security but this activity history is limited to things like garage doors, smart locks, home security systems, and that's it. There's nothing else. Why did this light turn on two minutes ago? That is a question I have had to answer more than once. And I remember distinctly when I first got into smart home stuff being woken up at 3 a.m. because all the lights in the house turned on. And then I just got back to sleep and the lights turned on. And yeah. I didn't know what was going on. Uh, I took a guess 
that it was um, something related to an automation of me coming home was turning the lights on and disabled that automation in HomeKit or just deleted it because it was three o'clock in the morning and I was cranky. Um, and then suddenly, you know, the light stopped turning on and I was able to go back to sleep. Um, but trying to figure out what happened or why something happened is, you know, that's, or why something didn't happen as well. That can be really difficult. And that's one of the reasons why I love Home Assistant and also fake devices. Like I don't have uh, a doorbell on my outside French doors, like a smart doorbell, because I don't want to put a camera on what is essentially a public footpath that people can walk on. You know, that, you know, I could do it and I'm sure most people wouldn't care because it's going to like pick them up for like a couple of seconds as they walk past or, you know, there were some kids running around earlier today, you know, it might have caught those, caught them a few times. Probably fine. But I personally just don't like the idea of sticking a camera out there when it's not necessary. Um, So instead, what I've done is I've got a smart button stuck out there, which when I press it, as far as HomeKit is concerned, it's a doorbell. So I get the chime on my HomePods and everything. And I just stuck a fake picture in there. It literally just says the word doorbell um, as an image and HomeKit, uh, HomeKit sees that as the camera and Home Assistant's just there going, by the way, HomeKit, hey, hey, here's a doorbell. You know, this is a doorbell as far as you're concerned. Have fun with it. Um, so yeah, being able to do that and uh, not having a million and one hubs. Um, you know, hubs are great. I'm, I'm going to say that. Like you, if you've got the choice between a Wi-Fi and a hub device, you want hubs, um, you know, one hub with 20 smart bulbs on it is much better than 20 smart bulbs trying to cram onto your probably not ready for this Wi-Fi. Yeah. But, um, you know, at this, at some point you end up with, you know, the Akara hub, the Ikea hub, the Hue hub, uh, this other hub that came from, from this other company and, you know, 60, 60 different hubs or something. It, it can feel like being able to consolidate that down to home assistant with Zigbee and Z-Wave and thread support is very, very nice. So yeah, uh, that that's what I really get out of it. I have a, a funny story uh, about um, a home assistant and automation. I think I'll, let's just leave it with this before we move on. But I, I have to share it with somebody. So uh, nobody's listening, right? Um, <laughs> we, so Rose, we talked about this. Or the refrigerator has an alarm on. It. If you leave the door open, the alarm is the exact pitch of my tinnitus, so I can be standing right next to it and not hear it going off. So I came up with this great idea where if, if the door is open for so long, and this is something you get with, with something like Home Assistant you don't get with HomeKit, it turns on lights in certain parts of the house. So I basically have a visual reminder to say, oh, the refrigerator door is open. I need to go down and shut it. Well, one of the lights was the bedroom because uh, I'm upstairs sometimes. And then, you know, if the door is open, I want to make sure I shut it before I go to bed. But it turns red. And what mm-hmm. was happening is because we're now in the time of year where it gets darker earlier, um, that would go on and I wouldn't realize it. And people in a neighbor asked me, Dave, what's going on that your bedroom lights always red? <laughs> and I'm like, wait a second. People are starting to, th- to talk about me. <laughs> so I change it to blue. So I feel like, the, well, the, I mean, you know, what you could do with that is also have it send you a push notification that says, you know, the refrigerator doors open. Close that it. does all of that. And and what I should yeah. have done is have it reset for me. I didn't set it to reset. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that yeah. That's the trick. Yeah. Having it yeah. go back to what it was before by creating yeah. a, an on the fly scene as it were. But if you want to be scandalous in your neighborhood, automation can make that possible too. Just saying. Well, there you go. That seems pretty good to me. This episode of Automators is brought to you by Vitaly. Customer success teams today are facing a problem. How do they connect customer data back to their work? 
Vitaly changes that. It's a new kind of customer success platform, an all-in-one collaborative workspace that combines your customer data with all the capabilities you expect from today's project management and work platforms. Because it's designed for today's customer success team, that's why Vitaly operates with unparalleled efficiency, improves net revenue retention, and delivers best-in-class customer experiences. It's the solution to helping your customer success team keep a better pulse on your customers, which maximizes productivity, visibility, and collaboration. You can boost your bottom line by driving more revenue per customer with Vitaly. And if you take a qualified demo of Vitaly, get a free pair of AirPods Pro. So if you're a customer success decision maker actively seeking CS solutions, working at a B2B software as a service company with 50 to 1,000 employees, and you're willing to explore changing customer success platforms if you already have one in place, schedule your call by visiting vitally.io slash automators and get that free pair of AirPods Pro. That's vitally.io slash automators for a free pair of AirPods Pro when you schedule a qualified meeting. Our thanks to Vitaly for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, Rose, let's get into the basics of HomeKit. And some of this stuff you may already know, but stick with us. We're going to get deeper as we go through the outline. But just as a starting point for, for someone like the listener who wrote in, Apple doesn't make the HomeKit hardware. I think that's something people are mistaken because, you know, doesn't that the Apple thing? They always make the whole widget. When it comes to HomeKit, that's not true. Um, no. They, uh, they make the phone and they make some of the Apple hardware that connects to HomeKit devices, but the actual mm. making of the light switches and the light bulbs and the, and the security cameras, all that, they've left that to other people. And then it's up to them to support the HomeKit protocol. So the thing you need to do if you want to get into basic HomeKit, vanilla HomeKit, you need to buy a box that's got a doodad in it that says HomeKit on the box. That's where it yeah. starts. Well, I mean, you could also argue that it starts with um, a Apple TV or a HomePod as well. Because in order for your HomeKit home to be a properly smart home, you are going to need a device that lives at home to be the controller um, or one of the controllers, realistically. Because if you have more than one of these, then they sort of go around and around Robin. Um, You used to be able to, and I emphasize used to here, use an iPad. Uh, In my experience, anybody who used an iPad found themselves in for a world of trouble when it came to HomeKit stuff, which is probably one of the reasons why Apple has removed this feature. Um, And uh, if you previously set up HomeKit and you had an iPad as a hub, um, then um, you may not have been able to upgrade to the the new HomeKit architecture. Um, So you would need to remove the iPad as a HomeKit hub um, and then update that. But it also took it away in the iPadOS settings as well. Um, but yeah, so you'll need either a HomePod or an Apple TV or more than one um, of those to be a HomeKit hub. And then, yeah, some kind of HomeKit widgety-wodgety. It could be a HomeKit light. It could be a HomeKit camera, doorbell. Uh, it could just be a sensor. Um, you know, for example, a leak sensor if you are worried about... Um, uh, I had something actually a couple of weeks ago, David, or last month or a little bit longer ago. There was water underneath my kitchen sink. Very oh, no. concerning. Yeah, yeah, it was very concerning. Um, and I had a flood sensor under there. So the first thing that I knew about it was I got like alerts on all of my devices. Everything went off and was like, leak detected. And I'm like, oh my God, wow, that worked. Um, yeah, that's what we want though, It was one of those simultaneously right? brilliant and terrifying moments. Because it's like, there's water under the kitchen sink. Oh no. But because everything was going like, oh no, uh, more or less. It, it, it did a slightly terrifying critical alert sound. Um 
But yeah, I knew there was water under the kitchen sink. Turned out that somebody, uh, whenever they installed the kitchen like 12 years ago, put a washer on back to front. Like that was it. And it took until like now to start leaking. So I'm feeling pretty happy about my kitchen, um, to be honest. Um, My kitchen is fine. It was a very small leak. I was able to mop it up and stick a tray under there until uh, everything got sorted out. Um, And uh, yeah, um, you know, it's all fine. But you could just start with a sensor if you wanted. If you want to know if the door is open or closed, then, yeah, you can just start with a sensor. Um, and yeah, you just need something home kit. Um, you may need a hub to go with the something home kit. For example, if you buy a Hue light bulb, um, unless it's one of the Bluetooth ones, which I'm not sure I really recommend. Bluetooth is never great for smart home devices. I, I would much prefer Zigbee, Z-Wave, Thread, um, or even Wi-Fi over, over Bluetooth. Um, but yeah, you, you might need a hub. It's certainly if you're buying like an Ikea light, um, or, um, uh, well, the Ikea sensors or, um, buttons, then you will need, uh, one of their hubs. The Dirigira is the, the new hub with matter support. Akara have hubs. They have a hub that's a camera. So if you buy the camera, it's also a hub. That's really nice. Um, yeah. So just pick, pick something, home kit, uh, make sure if it needs a hub, you grab the hub. And then you can start connecting it and it pretty much just works. Like if you try and scan the code that's on the device, it'll have like a little home next to it and, and some, some eight characters of various kinds. Um, then yeah, if you try and scan that with your camera, even it'll just be like, Hey, this is home I'll just go and open the home app and start setting that up for you. And off you go that they, it walks you through it and helps you get everything working. Yeah. In fact, can we just take a break there and go back to the communications protocols, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth? Um, We glance over that often on the show. And I think for people getting into this, you need to understand that there are different protocols for all this stuff to talk to each other. And they have different costs and benefits. Like Bluetooth is easy, but weak and inconsistent. I'm with Rose. That's the worst one to use. A lot of them go for Wi-Fi because it's easy and it is better than Bluetooth. But the problem with Wi-Fi is as you add more and more devices, they add a lot of Wi-Fi traffic to your Wi-Fi signal. And that can make them inconsistent and slower and not as good. So definitely, I think what both, uh, and I think under Rose's tutelage, I've come to learn is if there's a Zigbee hub, if there's a, a device that comes with a hub, I almost welcome it because Maybe it costs mm-hmm. us a little bit more, but you know the communications between the device and the system is going to be rock solid and it's just more consistent. So I almost lean toward hubs more than away from them. Yes, definitely. And, you know, you might be thinking, oh, but then the, like that's another thing to plug in. But if you, or, you know, and I have to set stuff up and I have to connect it with the hub and so on. But if you think about, say, for example, um, you know, your average house. I don't remember how many rooms are in your house, David. I know I've visited, but I, I honestly didn't spend my time there counting uh, rooms. Yeah. Um, but three bedrooms. You know, yeah. yeah. So you've got three bedrooms. Plus, I'm guessing you've got you know a couple of bathrooms in there. You've got hallways, yeah. landings, um, you know, kitchen, dining area, all of that stuff. You've got loads of rooms. Okay. I live in a pretty tiny, to be honest, two bedroom apart, uh, two bedroom flat or apartment. Okay. I still have five rooms. Okay, uh, if you go kitchen, living room, bedroom, office, bathroom, plus I have my hallway, and so that's six rooms, and my living room actually has two overhead lights. Okay, so say that I just put smart light bulbs 
any smart lights in each of those rooms. That's already seven more devices connecting to my Wi-Fi. Yeah. But if I make those into Hue lights, that's one device connecting to my network, which it could theoretically do over Wi-Fi. I always choose Ethernet when I can. And then those seven devices connect to the hub. Um, and unless you have an enterprise-grade network, um, which when I say enterprise-grade, I mean like the kind of thing that a really large business is running, not like something that somebody sticks a label on and says, oh yeah, it's enterprise-grade. You're probably going to run into problems if you go with a whole bunch of Wi-Fi devices. You know, there are some things that are fine on Wi-Fi, cameras, doorbells, that sort of thing. You know, that you won't find a Zigbee camera. It doesn't exist because the Zigbee um, protocol isn't big enough, basically, for, for videos and images. Yeah. Um, but, you know, y you'll find some things which basically kind of only exist as Wi-Fi, and that's fine. But if you've got the choice of, you know, uh, something that has a hub. So, for example, uh, David, you're a big fan of the Lutron Caseta lights, uh, yeah. light switches. Sure. And those come with a hub. And so all of your light switches just connect to one hub, and then that just works. Um, and that that's going to be a lot less painful on your network. Um, and also, that means you're going to have much fewer HomeKit problems. Often when I hear about people with HomeKit problems, the answer is the network. It takes a very long time before people will admit it is the network. But it, like 95% of cases, it's something is wrong with the network um, that HomeKit is not happy with. So the more devices that don't connect to the internet network and just connect to you know their own hub, and then there's one connection between that and uh, HomeKit, essentially, which is to the internet, then the better. Yeah. Exactly. And that that's why Lutron was such a big win for me. I, I didn't even really realize why I liked it so much until my friend Robert said, Oh no, they've got their own bandwidth. That's that's just rock solid because, you know, they're on that that hub. And it's just that solved the problem. And that's why everybody who discovers Lutron is like, Oh, these are the greatest lights in the world. They just turn on when you push the button and that's what you want, right? But that that so that's a part of HomeKit. Even though you think you're in vanilla HomeKit, you're not doing anything fancy. You can still torpedo yourself just because you've got a bunch of Bluetooth devices that just choose not to work. So you think you're doing everything right. If you look at the the screenshots and everything, you're doing everything right. But the thing just chooses not to work. Exactly, and you know it's it's surprisingly easy to be like smart home sucks um, when you know you've accidentally set yourself up with you know some Bluetooth light bulbs and so on, which you would think would work fine, um, but, you know, and anything like that, you know, wireless in general is never going to be as stable and secure as wired, um, unless the wire for some reason has been chewed on by, you know, some overenthusiastic bunny or similar. Yeah. Um, you know, so the more, you know, Wi-Fi wireless in particular is very susceptible to uh, interference. So the more of that that you've got, the worse it's going to be. If things can be on their own, like set up, dedicated just for this network, it's going to be a lot easier to just control stuff and set it up and be happy with it. Um, so, you know, by all means, do try something out if you're buying your first, you know, device of, you know, by all means go for Wi-Fi or similar. Um, but at the same time, if you think that there's any possibility, even the slightest minuscule chance that you're going to dip your toe in the water and go, ooh, this is fun, I want more of this, definitely consider you know looking at something with a hub and going from there um because yeah you're you're gonna have a whole bunch of things running around your home and if you know these things connect through this hub and if this hub is unplugged that's why versus this light sometimes doesn't work but this other one in the same room usually works 
what's the difference between the two apart from the four feet in between them? Yeah. You're going to drive yourself crazy. Also, let's talk for a minute about third-party apps because as you get into the HomeKit world, one of the things they'll be surprised to learn is that all of these vendors that make the things, Lutron as an example, they have apps. But then you have the HomeKit app and the Mm -hmm. pairing process happens in the HomeKit app. You don't really go into the third-party app to make all this work, but then you still kind of need it. And it's like, could you explain, Rose, how you what your thought is about these third-party apps and where you use them and don't use them? Yeah, basically my personal opinion on third-party apps for things like this, and Apple are really working hard to bring things like updates to devices into HomeKit so that you don't need to use, for example, the Hue app or the Lutron app to update stuff. You can do it yeah, through yeah. HomeKit. It's not 100% there yet, so you you're, you may slash probably will need the third-party app for these things. Um, but my personal opinion on this is... You can set stuff up in like the Hue app and so on. Um, Like, you know, if you need to pair a new light bulb to the Hue hub, go for it through the Hue app. That's going to be much easier than trying to do it through HomeKit. I don't actually remember how to do that through HomeKit, to be honest. It's been a while. Um, But you can, yeah, so you can do that and then forget that that app exists until you need it to install an update. Don't uninstall it necessarily, um, but certainly don't use it to control things and set up automations and so on. Because if you think of it as though you've got, you know, three different robots working on, um, you know, uh, assembling something and they know that, you know, there's got to be this thing over here and this thing over here and this thing over here. And one of them, you know, starts working on attaching, I don't know, say an arm to another robot and it brings it over and it doesn't quite fit. So it takes it off to another table to, to, you know, try and adjust it. And another one brings in a new arm and then takes that off to a table. You've got two things trying to do the same thing, at least in theory. Only it turns out one of them is putting left arm on the left side and one of them is putting the right arm on the left side. That's what's going to happen if you set up automations in more than one app. You absolutely, at some point, will accidentally program, when this thing turns on, do, like, do this. And then in the other app, you'll be like, when this thing turns on, turn it off again. Um, and then you'll have something going weird somewhere, almost guaranteed. So, by all means, use an app to set stuff up, update things, but don't use it for automations and certainly don't share it with like your family members and, and, and co-residents for uh, controlling things. If you make them install 17 different apps on your phone, even if they love you and they are a tech nerd, they're going to be like, why is this so complicated? Can't this be simpler? I Yeah, I 100% agree. So what I do is when the clocks change, I have a whole bunch of tech stuff I do. Uh, twice a year when the clocks change. And one of them is I open those apps to see if there's updates available. And otherwise I completely ignore them. And I really wish that we could consistently get those updates through the home app. And I didn't even have to install them because I feel like having them on my phone is like a potential for a problem. And I don't even want it there, you know? And, uh, but so I, I try to o- open them as infrequently as possible. But occasionally there are firmware updates and I feel like I should be getting them on my devices. And uh, and it's not even, I don't know, Rose, if you have favorite vendors that are really good at this or bad at this. It seems to me kind of mishmash. Different vendors seem to get those updates into the home app and it updates right there for you and others don't. But I can't really tell you which ones I'd recommend. Yeah, honestly, it, it it varies, not even depending on the vendor, but depending on what device type product, it is and yeah. protocol it is and things like that. So a Bluetooth version of this light bulb might not be able to install the update through the HomeKit app, but a Zigbee version of the, the light bulb that otherwise looks identical could yeah. or vice versa. It, it's it's very difficult to 
pinpoint exactly what it is. Um, and it, in some cases, it's just a case of like the vendors have got a limited number of developers and development time. So they haven't been able to do everything yet. So they've done what they can. They're working on the rest as they get around to it. But they're also trying to implement X cool new feature or Y cool new feature and so on and so forth. So yeah, there's a lot going on there. Um, yeah, so you may slash will need third party apps if there are some. Um, asterisk, I'm, I'm just going to make an, a note here. If you see anything that says that it uses the Toya app, T-U-Y-A, or, um, you know, uh, there's another one, I've forgotten its name. Um, but yeah, uh, that that isn't actually HomeKit compatible. It's a smart home thing, but they're all like the same stuff from China and they they don't really work. Like it's, it's both the same stuff. It's not the same stuff. It's a company that sells their software that you can install on things and it's just not good. Um, so yeah, if, if something says Toya, turn around and, and pick something else. <laughs> and, and honestly, that's why this show exists. Cause I think a lot of people don't want that. They don't want to install software from somebody on the other side of the world. And you don't know what their intentions are and what they're actually doing on your device. They just want some basic automation. And I feel like that's who this show's for people that yeah. want to do this stuff. They want to trust Apple. And, and so my, my thoughts is the third party apps, install them as little as possible and open them as little as possible. Yeah, the other one I've just remembered is Smart Life. They changed it. Well, it had a sort of purpley icon. It's now a blue icon. Um, yeah, Toya and Smart Life are not HomeKit compatible, and they are weird in various different ways. You may find that you've theoretically got two or three of the same device, and they all have slightly different controls for reasons. Um, yeah, so just a random side note. They are not HomeKit compatible, but stay away from them, especially if even if you're into you know other uh, methods of setting up smart home stuff. It's surprisingly difficult to work with, even though they theoretically have an API. This episode of The Automators is brought to you by Electric. Go to electric.ai slash automators and unbury yourself from IT tasks. Also get a free pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones when you schedule a qualifying meeting. Turning a small business into an empire takes work, and you have to keep your ear to the ground for things that will help you take it to the next level. But this can be hard when your attention is pulled in different directions, because that's the reality of being a boss. And the team over at Electric knows small businesses, maybe like yours, face these challenges. That's why they're on hand to help with the time-consuming parts of your business, like standardized device security with best-in-class device management software, so you can implement the best practices across the board and be ready to scale, and employee onboarding and offboarding done for you, saving you an average of eight hours per request. Plus, Electric will help you keep a single point of visibility into your IT environment to control your devices, networks, and applications. While simplified reporting allows you to achieve and maintain compliance, and proactive IT recommendations and automated workflows make IT easy to manage for even non-technical users. And look, if you're hearing this and you think your company could use some of these services, but you're not sure where to start, Electric's experts will guide you through the process of establishing standardized IT processes for your organization. Automators listeners are susceptible to this problem where we want to do everything ourselves. We want to automate. We want to do the IT. But if we've got a business, we need to focus on the business not being the IT and you can really help yourself out if you go over to Electric and let them take that burden for you. And for Automator's listeners, Electric is offering a free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones for taking a qualified meeting. 
Just go to electric.ai slash automators. That's electric.ai slash automators. Go there now to get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones today for scheduling a meeting. And our thanks to Electric for the support of the automators. So, David, I feel like we should make some recommendations um, for, you know, some products um, slash hardware that is HomeKit compatible that we we like. Because, you know, I've been trialing this new Akara G4 doorbell recently. Really loving it. Works really, really well. It's a nice piece of hardware. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it just worked with HomeKit. It was very easy to set up. But, you know, we've we've both been trialing this stuff out and we've had some stuff for ages and some stuff is newer so what would you recommend yeah let's spend some money gang we, we talked in the last segment about not trusting the third-party developers but there are some that we inherently trust we've bought products from them for for years i feel like they're good home kit um players they make good home kit products that work and don't fall apart the first time you use them and they do seem to do updates to their software so i, I feel like there are a few vendors that I'm comfortable recommending. One of them is Akara and uh, uh, Rosemary. Actually, I think you turned me on to them first because Mm -hmm. you started buying their stuff. The interesting thing about Akara is it does require a hub, but it's a hub in the best of ways because it is giving you, I think it's a Zigbee. I don't know what their underlying radio is. Yeah, they have a Zigbee and Thread. Um, I I can't remember if Thread is in the newest hub or if it's in one of the ones coming, but they they certainly, it's a Zigbee-based hub. Um, but depending on which hub you buy, there's like a teeny tiny little stick one, um, which is great if you just want to like try some stuff out and, you know, get something very cheap. They've got a couple of camera ones. So your hub is also a camera, uh, which is really cool. Um, and then they've got just sort of like a black round circular puck, but it's got an IR blaster in it as well, um, which is very cool. So it can control things like TV and stuff. Um, that, that unfortunately the IR blaster stuff last time I double checked, um, it didn't turn up in HomeKit, which was a little bit of a shame. Um, but I think they've been working on that. So that may appear soon or is already there. I'm not hundred percent certain, but yeah, their, their stuff is very affordable as well. I find. Yeah. That's the advantage. So with a car, you're going to buy a hub, which will range from the little $25 stick to the $250 camera. And, and there's price points in between. And each hub, you know, different hubs have different capabilities in terms of how many devices they can drive and whatnot. Uh, but once you get the hub, then the actual hardware is very affordable. And um, I feel like you get the hub money back if you pretty quickly. Like you were talking earlier about the leak detection, and I'm assuming you're using a car leak detectors. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh huh. Yeah. So I did that too. And honestly, it paid for the hub just with the leak detectors. And it, I don't know, it's a thing here in California where. You go out out of town and your house has a leak and it does, you know, multiple, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of damage. Um, so I, I have friends that have experienced that. So that's always been a worry for me. And these Akara leak detectors are just awesome. They're small. They're inexpensive. I think you can, if you buy them in multiples, they're about $15 each. And mm-hmm. you can just, you know, they, they work rock solid. Uh, I put an indelible marker on them and then I stick them under the water heater, under the toilets you know, they're all over the house. Yeah. And just like Rose said, this is one where I think HomeKit is really good at this because of the exact problem Rose described. When they detect a leak, they go crazy. They set off HomeKit as an alarm system in a way that I'm not sure a third-party app could do. I think only Apple's sort of access could give you that alarm that goes off like, you know, the missiles are coming in. And it's great. Uh, In fact, when I was testing it, my daughter who was up in Westwood at the time, uh, I, you know, it's a different 
she lives, she goes to school at UCLA. So she's up there. She called me. She's like, dad, there's a leak at the house, you know? <laughs> so, so the, the alarm went off. Not only on my device went off on everybody in the family mm-hmm. and she wasn't, she was, you know, two and a half hours away from me and she got the alarm. So, and that's what you want when you have a water leak, right? You want everybody to know right away. So I feel yeah. like, um, you know, the Acara stuff, just as the leak detectors are a good example, but uh, let's just go through it really quick. Uh, so both you and I use the leak detectors. Mm. I think their switches are really good too. Like one of the things with HomeKit is just having a physical switch where you can push the button and it triggers an automation. So it's essentially a light switch you can stick anywhere in the house. And I feel like they car, they're very reasonably priced and they work great. And I've got a bunch of those. What are some of the other car things you've bought? Well, I've, I've got a whole bunch of them. I just wanted to mention as well, David, like your daughter getting that notification, even though she's two and a half hours away. Well, if you were in, say, London, I don't know, for the Relay Live show next year, which, by the way, folks, Relay's 10th anniversary is next year. There's a live show in London. David and I are both going to be there. So if you want to come meet us and say hi, please come to the show. We'll put a link in the show notes. But, you know, if you were in London and she was in L.A., she would be considerably closer than you. Um, and so... If there were a leak when you weren't there, she'd be able to potentially, you know, get get home and figure out what it was and call a plumber or something to fix it. Yeah. You know, despite the fact that you were on another continent and then you you would hopefully still avoid a significant amount of damage. So that that's why I think this stuff this stuff is so great. Um yes. but as to other car devices, I mean I have um some of the buttons and I've got switches and so on as well. I have so I have wired in light switches from Akara as well as the wireless light switches. And the wireless light switches are such a great idea because, you know, you can you don't have to just control lights with them. But if you think about, you know, what what you do in a day, how often do you have to, you know, um, go and press a light switch, for example? And the answer for me is never. Um, but I have a friend um, and in their living room, you go into their living room and the door opens to the right side um, to sort of a corner. And then, so you go into the living room, opening the door, and then you have to turn around, close the door, reach behind the door, and turn on the light switch. That is the most inconveniently placed light switch I've literally ever encountered, possibly. Uh, There may have been one other that was just weirdly positioned on the ceiling, but that's a story for another time. So I solved the problem for that friend by just giving them a smart button on the other side of the door. So now you open the door and you just press the button that's immediately, you know, to, to your left as you're opening the door with your right hand. And voila, you have lights. Um, so you can do that, but you can also have it, you know, do other things like, for example, maybe turn on a robot vacuum or um, play music on a HomePod, whatever. And you can have buttons just anywhere you want. And you can even take them with you around the house. Um, I have door sensors and window sensors. Um, so, uh, for example, if the window in my office is open, the heating in my office won't turn on because my my window's open. Why would I heat the whole world when I've yeah. got the window open? bad idea. Um, and it'll tell me, for example, that my my front door is open and my front door is open. Um, so I will actually know about that. Um, and I can get notifications about my doors opening as well. I don't have to, but I can. Um, I actually have them on my washing machine and tumble dryer doors because that way I know when they've been opened, which, you know, uh, that's that's using some other logic in there as well. But I have them so that I know that they've been opened. Um, also, my washing machine is a front loader. It's very important with front loaders that you leave the door open uh, for a while after the wash so that they dry out so that it doesn't start growing mold in there. Um, so I, you know, can immediately see, ah, the washing machine door is closed. It probably shouldn't be. I'll go and open that. Um, yeah, what else do I have from my car? I feel like I've got 
a bunch of other things uh, running around somewhere. Oh, light sensors and motion sensors. They're tiny and great because I know how bright it is in a room or whether or not there's motion. Yeah. I and mean, I feel like Akara is climate. so good yeah. for sensors. Like I've got the the window sensors on so many windows around the house and I can be lying in bed or far away from the home and know exactly what windows are open and closed with my car sensors. Yeah, especially if, for example, um, you know, you're running around the house, sorting things out before you go on a trip or something, being able to just quickly check, okay, are all the windows closed? Like have a quick look. You check the security thing. It's like windows and doors are closed. Great. And then, you know, and by all means, you know, run around the house and still physically check. But it just gives you that peace of mind. Uh, you know, you're driving away. You're part of the way down the road. Somebody says, wait, did you close the Did you close the garage door? I don't know. Did you close the garage door? Did anybody close the garage door? You can check on your phone instead of having to turn around and drive home. And, you know, you may still want to do that if you don't entirely trust the technology. But once you've got used to the technology being there and being reliable, you'll then feel more able to trust it. So, yeah, like I love having just temperature sensors and humidity sensors in every room. It's really useful to know, you know, like my office is the warmest room right now. I still feel quite cold. Well, I'll put on a jumper and see how I feel. And then, okay, now I can turn up the heating because this is definitely the warmest room in the house that I'm sitting in, for example. Um, So, yeah, it's just useful to have the data for that, but also so that I can tie it into other automations. I agree. I'll tell you the only Akara item that I'm still scratching my head on is I bought their Wi-Fi based human occupancy sensor. They have two uh, right now. They have one that is Zigbee that works with something like Home Assistant, and they have a Wi-Fi one that plugs directly into HomeKit. And I wanted to give it a try, and I have had inconsistent results with that. But I think it's operator error. I I just haven't figured this thing out yet i mean it shows up yeah it clearly shows me that it recognizes there's someone in the room and not in the room um but this is an example of where home kit is hard for me because uh i want the lights to come on when i enter the studio and go off when i leave and a home, a home occupancy sensor is great for that right the or the room occupancy it's really good at saying is there a human in the room which earlier iterations of home automation stuff was okay at but not great like a motion sensor is great, but if you sit there reading a book, it eventually thinks there's nobody in the room. And mm-hmm. a human yeah. occupancy sensor knows this. But for me, I have different lighting scenarios for the studio. If I'm shooting video, I have one set of lights on. If I'm just working, it's a different set. If I, you know, So I have three or four different ways I want the lights done. And with a home assistant setup, I can go through and make it conditional. But with just a basic Akara home occupancy sensor, I can turn the lights off or on. But then the problem is when I put them to video lighting, then the Akara sensor comes and says, yeah, but there's a human in here. And my rule is just to turn the normal lights on. So override that, you know? And so I basically have a battle of automation. So there's been some things, I guess this is, I'm kind of getting down a rabbit hole here, but uh, if you want a basic thing where like I go into a room, the lights turn on, I leave a room, the lights turn off the, the actual home, the uh, home uh, human occupancy sensor is good. But I'm having troubles with it because I wanted to do more. Yeah, yeah. That sounds to me like you, you kind of need the, the home occupancy sensor to actually feed into Home Assistant and Home Assistant to know, like you set that you are in podcasting state, so it'll turn it on to podcasting lighting and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. But yeah, that's, that's, that's a thing for another time. I've just remembered two other products that I have from Mercara. Um, actually, four in total, because that's, that's how these things work that I should mention. Curtain and blind motors. 
So yeah. uh, I have curtains on a curtain rail. Um, I also have some curtains which are um, like eye rail or uh, they're, they're like in inside a little rail. There's like hooky plasticky things inside of a rail that slide back and forth either way. Um, and uh, I have um, as well, I, I mentioned switchbot ones earlier, but I have some Akara uh, motors for controlling curtains. And the Akara motors are better than the switchbot motors in uh, some in many senses because they are more powerful. And when you have floor length velvet curtains like I do, uh, you need the more powerful motors because the switchbots could not handle those. Um, and so I have a car curtain sensors and I also have blind, uh, or not curtain sensors, curtain motors. I also have blind motors, which have like a, a little cog on them and the chain from the blind goes in there. Um, and then it can open uh, and close the, the blinds automatically for me um, based on, you know, just like me arriving home. Um, and yeah, then my my blinds uh by my door open uh so that i can easily come into the house which is lovely um so yeah and they it also uh turns depending on the time of day so um in the morning uh the the blinds point one way and in the evening the blinds point another way so that i don't end up sitting there with a whole bunch of like sun shining into my eyes attempting to blind me uh which is great but i still get to take advantage of the sunlight i think akara is the one who i bought the most products from at this point yeah yeah, if you buy the the um, uh, like the sensors uh, and so on from AliExpress in particular, um, you can definitely get you know good bundles very cheaply. Um, uh, you'll have to wait a little bit for postage. It could be you know ten days, two weeks um, for it. Um, but you know, it's I feel like it's worth waiting the ten days to two weeks. Um, if you know, like buy one from Amazon by all means and get it tomorrow uh, to try it out. But then if you go, okay, I want six of these buttons. <laughs> Uh, then yeah, you, you can save quite a bundle by buying them on AliExpress um, and they'll all connect to the same hub and Zigbee, Zepwave, et cetera. They are global. Um, they use slightly different channels in, in various areas, at least uh, Zigbee does, uh, but the, the actual hardware devices will connect regardless of where they're from. So uh, it's well worth uh, saving some money on those uh, if you've got a hub. So yeah, definitely recommend those. Uh, and I think, like you said, the sensors to me is really the uh, the Akara the gold in the Akara is the sensors because it's expensive. Some sensors are like fifty dollars just to buy a single yeah. sensor, and they're just so much less expensive. And they work rock solid with Akara. Just get yourself a hub, and if you want to add sensors throughout your house, you're going to save yourself a ton of money. Uh, another vendor that we have talked about, you know, is my Lutron Cassetta. Uh, only in the U.S. as far as I understand, not in Europe. Uh, but boy, if you want a great light solution. In fact, I've talked about this a bunch on the Automators podcast in the past. I'm not going to dwell on it, but you replace the switches, and that's the trick with lights. If you put automated switches in the wall, then all the lights that are connected to the circuit are done, and you don't have to buy individual home kit light bulbs. And it makes it easier. And the the real problem it solves is for all the, you know, all the, you know, the muggles, for lack of a better word, in your house. Uh, they just want to hit the switch and turn the light off and on, and those still do. So nothing changes. The light switch still works, but it is also automation friendly. So I, I think if you are in the U.S. at least and you want to really just get a great home kit experience by the um, the Lutron Cassetta switches, they're expensive. Don't buy them all at once. I think I, I, I've got them in every key switch in my house, but it took me about a year. And every month I would go buy another one and switch it out. And eventually I had it everywhere I needed it. But they're they're awesome. Do you have a switch yeah. recommendation that's not a Lutron? 
Uh, so I did try Lightwave, uh, Lightwave RF over here in the UK. Despite the name including RF, they are not using radio frequency in the sense of, you know, like old-fashioned radio frequency. They're using Z-Wave um, or Z-Wave, depending on your pronunciation. Um, I say I tried because um, the uh, switches are require the, the lights to be dimmable. Um, and the light that I was trying was not a dimmable light. And so I was going to have to replace the light. So in the end, I went with an Akara switch instead. Um, but they, they have, um, yeah, like they have like a, a whole little, uh, range of things. And also on their website, they have like, a uh, links to get, um, like certified from them installers who are qualified electricians to come out to your house, um, and set them up. And they also do, um, plugs, plug sockets, um, or outlets for your Americans, um yeah. so yeah they they're they're certainly a good option um i've i've i just went with an akara switch to be honest um one of the things that i really like about it is it's a bounce switch um so most switches um here in the uk and as far as i understand in america they toggle so yeah. they're up when they're on and down when they're off or vice versa depending on how it was installed um and this is a bounce switch. So it doesn't look like it's got a state when you look at it. You can't see that the the switch is saying that the light is on, but you're looking at the light and the light is off. So there's never that disconnect of wait, this this doesn't line up with what I'm seeing. You just press the light, press the light switch and it turns on, or press the light switch and it turns off. Yeah. Um, and as well as it controlling the light, obviously I can control the light with HomeKit as well, but then I can have a home automation because I have um some under-the-counter LED light strips. Um, and, um, so when I press the button to turn on the light in the kitchen, not only does it turn on the light in the kitchen, it also turns on the undercounter lighting for me. So they, they all get tied in together, which is really nice. Some other vendors we can recommend. Philips Hue. Yeah. For the lights. Yeah. 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 If, if, if you want lights, like really nice, bright lights, um, in your room, um, then I would definitely recommend Philips Hue. Um, you don't have to go with fancy colors and things like that. They have, um, I would definitely recommend the um, the uh, white um, daylight adjustable. I've forgotten the exact naming, but it, it goes between different shades of white at different times of day. That's very nice. Um, and yeah, they have various different lumens so you can get very bright lights if you need very bright lights in your room. Um, uh, down to you know smaller ones, and they they do all sorts of shapes of bulbs and things like that as well with different fittings and so on. Over here in the UK, we use bayonet fittings um, in overhead lights, like they they have those, um, which you don't necessarily get um, from um, other vendors um, and so on. Though uh, there is another vendor that I'd recommend as a sort of maybe not quite secondary, but yeah, there 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 are other options. But if if you just want to go with lights that work, definitely start at Hue. It's pricier, but it, it's going to be good. Yeah, I want to just um, add my endorsement. I, Philips Hue, they used to be a lot more expensive. They were the one of the first ones on the scene. Uh, they have got more price competitive, but they're still probably going to be the most expensive option. But they have their own hub, and they just work. And the other thing about Philips is once you get into that ecosystem, you have the hub. It's very easy to add additional lights, and they have anything you can think of, like when I made the studio here, I wanted to make, have some little spotlights I could put behind me to like light, to backlight me. And, uh, I didn't really have a convenient plug for them and I didn't know what I wanted to use. And Phillips had these little tiny wireless spots. I keep them on my media cart. They're always charged and I pull them out and they're totally attached to my automation. And I think they were like 60 bucks to get them. And 
So you pay more than you would. I'm sure there was something out there for half that, but these Philips ones, they just work. And also the other thing I find about the Philips lights, if you do go through the colors, the colors are more accurately rendered than a lot of them. Mm -hmm. The colors are way off and the the Philips get it right. So it's just a quality vendor, you know, and and for, you know, light switches, you might want to go with a different vendor, but for the actual lights themselves, I think the hue is, is the winner. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, my other recommendation when it comes to, to lighting or just other devices would be Ikea. Um, and you know, most countries have got an Ikea, even if there isn't one near you, they will deliver, uh, things, uh, especially their smart home stuff. And they are on board the matcha train, which is always good. Um, Hugh hasn't yet got there as far as I'm aware with the matcha train. They're going to release a new hub, um, for sure. Um, but, um, Ikea already has, um, a matcha hub out, um, they do lights, they do buttons, they do sensors. I picked up a very cool sensor the other day, David. It's a little rectangle. It's got, um, I guess it's a TFT display in it. It's like one of those slightly old sort of green background with black segment um, shapes um, on it in most cases. Um, but there's some color in there as well. And it's uh, a PM2 sensors, a PM2.5. So it, it it's measuring air quality. Uh, temperature, humidity, um, and so on. And it's got a backlight built in as well. Um, so they've got that. They have air purifiers, um, all sorts of things. Um, and it's very affordable as well. Um, I, I, you know, the the IKEA stuff is closer to slash the same as the Akara pricing um, than it is the Hue pricing. Yeah. Um, and they do a, a good range of lights as well. Um, and one of the things that I'm definitely going to recommend with the IKEA stuff is you can actually get some of the IKEA stuff and use it without HomeKit. I know we're doing a show here about vanilla HomeKit, but if you wanted a smart plug with a button to control it and you don't want to have to like connect it to a hub or do Wi-Fi or anything like that, you can buy um, a smart plug outlet thingy um like you know it will plug in between the device and and the outlet or 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 socket um and a button from ikea and they'll come prepared um and you can just use that to turn it on and off like simple uh this can be very very useful i set one of these up for my grandmother the other day she had um a fan um and she she um when the button on the fan for um turning it off was going a bit wonky so i just picked up one of these in ikea and gave it to her and was like you know like you know if you just turn it off at the wall because um she's struggling to press the physical like button on the fan to turn it on and off i was like if you just turn it off at the wall by pressing this button then you know then when you turn it back on it'll be on whatever settings you had it on before um and that works perfectly for her so yeah the ikea stuff definitely very very nice i have uh some of their blackout blinds as well love those i am so jealous i i look at those blinds because ikea makes affordable home kit friendly blinds so if you want your blinds to go up and down automatically you can do it they never have my size in so i I waited so long that i eventually just bought a pair of manual blinds and i i gave up but that it's a very affordable option for that where most blinds are like a lot of money yeah yeah they 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 often are um and uh yeah it's it's you know they've recently released some other ones i have three of the blackout blinds and I have one of the the non-blackout blinds from from the original lineup which they still have the trad uh I've forgotten the name it's not trad free that's their general sort of smart home stuff it means wireless by the way uh which is very cool um but um yeah I have I have those and then they've released a new design recently which is sort of um zigzaggy fabric I don't quite know how to describe it it's not quite zigzags but it kind of comes out 
sort of diamonds and connects to each other. Either way, they've got new new fabrics and so on. So, you know, they've got things which might be more aesthetically please, uh, uh, appealing to you. I think, to I think you. they call those honeycomb, at least in the US they do. I think, I think, I think it's a honeycomb one, yeah. Um, I looked at it, but honestly, I quite like mine being a dark gray because they are blackout blinds and that's what I wanted them for. You know, I have them behind the curtains and they work incredibly well. I did have to cut one down. Something Ikea do not like support at all. Um, They don't don't tell you how you can cut the blind down to fit. Um, There is no guide on how to do it. I found a YouTube video on somebody disassembling theirs and cutting it down. And that was the first one I installed. Um, And it works fine. It's, it's great. Um, So yeah, really, really like that. They, they automatically go down at sunset they come up when uh, my alarm goes off in the morning thanks to a shortcuts automation. Um, and so I get some light into my room immediately when I wake up or when I'm supposed to be waking up, which helps avoid me falling back asleep. Yeah. Definitely recommend them. Any more? Let's let's pick one more. Uh, what's okay. one more vendor? I, I'm going to go with one more. It's a little bit out there because they have some very cool, but it looks cool and it is cool products. And then they've got some more practical ones. Nanoleaf. Okay. Yeah, that's so a good Nano-Leaf, one. Nanoleaf. Nanoleaf do funky lights. Okay. I have their original light panels. So they're triangles of light that you stick. You can connect them to each other. Theoretically, you stick them to the wall. I stuck them uh, to um, a piece of uh, white-faced hardboard and put them in one of those giant IKEA frames that you can get, reinforce the frame and hung it on the wall. And it looks amazing. Um, And so you turn it on, you've got like a little light show. There's, you know, triangles changing color and so on. Nanoleaf also do slightly more practical light strips and light bulbs. And their their new stuff uses thread as well. Now, my original stuff is using Wi-Fi. Remember what I said at the beginning of not recommending Wi-Fi devices? This was an exception I made because they're so freaking cool. Um, okay. But um, yeah, like, yeah, they, they are really lovely, really bright and very good colors. Um, so yeah, definitely check out Nanoleaf as well. They um, have thread-based light bulbs. Um, so, you know, if you want to experiment with a thread protocol, they're quite affordable and often go on sale on Amazon. Um, and, uh, yeah, if you're excited by any of the, the things, uh, don't forget to, uh, camel, camel, camel them and keep an eye out for, um, like a Black Friday or something coming later this year for, uh, sales. I keep seeing stuff in like back to school sales. I guess college students apparently need smart home stuff, which I mean, uh, yeah, I, I get it, but also what can you put in a dorm room? when you can't really set up anything on an internet network because I guess most colleges wouldn't let you do that. Um, who knows? They're probably yeah. just using IKEA local controls, I guess. But yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a whole bunch of uh, options out there. Um, and uh, Nanoleaf is a, a nice, reputable brand of uh, very pretty colors of their lights. So yeah, they're fun. They're them. just fun. I don't yeah. own any, but I've been tempted so many times. Yeah, they they do some hexagon ones as well. The hexagons came after the triangles, um, and uh, I'd had the triangles for quite a while when uh, when the hexagons came out. But I keep looking at them, going, "Ooh, they're pretty." So maybe I'll end up with them. This episode of Automators is brought to you by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh, pre portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. You can banish the end of summer blues with HelloFresh. No need to stress about how you'll handle it all this fall because HelloFresh takes care of the meal planning and delivers pre-portioned ingredients right to your home. So whipping up a homemade meal in a, is easy in a cinch. 
Do you feel like you would love a wholesome homemade meal, but there's just not enough time? With HelloFresh, all you need is 15 minutes and you'll be enjoying a tasty, satisfying meal made in your own kitchen. Just look for their quick and easy dinner options, plus quick breakfasts and lunches too. HelloFresh has saved me a bunch of time. Yes, I'm in the UK, but HelloFresh in the US will save you the same amount of time, I promise. Uh, I love the fact that I can just pick a couple of recipes and they change them up every week so I don't end up eating the same thing all the time. Some of my favorites, oh, it's so difficult to say. There have just been so many great ones. And honestly, I use HelloFresh not just for me, but also if I'm cooking and having my parents over or some friends as well. You know, it's really easy to look at the recipe and you can see what you would need to do for more people or just for me. And pro tip, even though it's just me, I get a little more food than just for me because then I have some leftovers so I don't have to cook all the time. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Automators50 and use 50 Automators for 50% off plus free shipping. That's all lowercase letters, H-E-L-L-O-F-R-E-S-H dot com slash 50 Automators. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Go right now to HelloFresh.com slash Automators50 and use 50 Automators for 50% off plus free shipping. Our thanks to HelloFresh for their support of this show and Relay FM. Okay, Rose. Uh, so we've got you uh, through the basics. You've got some installed. I think we should, if we're going to talk about HomeKit, we have to talk about scenes. And scenes yeah. is a feature in HomeKit that allows you to combine all of your switches and different things together to scenes. So like if you want the room to, uh, you know, to turn the lights on halfway and lock the doors or whatever, you can do that with a scene. Yeah. Now, um, it should be noted because you mentioned there, lock the door. Um, that anything that involves a security device, so that would be um, like doors, windows, um, locks, garage doors, things like that in HomeKit is going to require confirmation. It's not just going to be able to run entirely automatically because Apple, being Apple, want to keep you safe and secure. They don't want you accidentally setting up an automation for whenever the bathroom light turns on, unlocks the front door. Yeah. Um, that would possibly go very badly in some places. Um, so yeah, you're gonna you won't be able to just automate uh, lots of things, including scenes. But scenes are very good for automations. Uh, for example, if you want to have a button that turns off three devices, I would suggest that you make a scene that turns off those three devices or does whatever it needs to do, and then the button turns on the scene. Yes. And there's a couple of reasons for this. The obvious one being, say you want a second button that can also do that. Well, uh, yeah, now, now you can just have it do the scene instead of trying to recreate everything. Um, secondly, you can then also trigger that through a scene button in HomeKit. And thirdly, scenes can automatically undo themselves after a period of time. So when a scene turns on, you can say, turn off after 15 minutes, for example. And so, yeah, I really love scenes and some apps even add scenes. Like my NanoLeaf added a couple of scenes for me of um, some of the different light panels that I have set up for my NanoLeaf light panels. And that's lovely. So I have those as buttons in HomeKit ready to go. Yeah, agreed. I, I really feel like that's like the power move if you're just going to work with the HomeKit app is you get everything, you know, build it out, put your devices in, buy your hardware. But at the end of the day, make scenes and think about it. And those are the easiest way to call them off with Siri. If you want to do that with Siri, uh, you can put like on your Apple watch, you can put buttons for the individual scenes. It's much easier than trying to control the lights with your watch, but you can have a list of five scenes and just scroll through on your watch. And they've even got a complication for it. It's just the actual moment point of control 
uh, scenes are the way to go. It's also, as automators, the best way to trigger them all as part of a shortcut automation because you just do a scene and that makes the the automation simpler as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Especially if there's a chance that you want to reuse it, but also um, just, you know, in general, scenes are the power move because you set up a scene that controls these three devices and then it turns out that you use it on this button and you use it in this shortcut maybe even use it in a personal automation in shortcuts. Um, but then you, you want to just change it slightly. So instead of turning this light on to 100%, it turns it on to 90%, but like a cold blue instead of a warm yellow white. Well, you can do that. And then that, that goes in everywhere. And even if you're only using it in one place right now, it's really smart to set yourself up so that if you want to do a change like this later, then you can just, instead of going into you know three or four different automations that turn on this light in this way, there's one scene that turns on the light that way and and that's the thing that's being used everywhere. And and you just go and adjust it and that's it. You know how converts are the best advocates? That's me. Because I when I first started using HomeKit, I didn't use scenes at all because I was using mm. other automation tools and doing all this other stuff. And then at one point I realized, wow, these scenes, because with all the shortcuts I've built, it was stupid. I would you know make all these commands and turn on all these lights, just set the scene. And then like if I want to change the scene, I can change the scene. I don't even have to touch shortcuts because shortcuts is yeah. still just going to call the scene that I made. And uh, mm -hmm. if you add new lights or remove lights, it's just absolutely the thing to get. That's like, I think the third level of this is figure out scenes, make the ones you want, make them easy to understand because the scenes will show up in the other people's devices. Like I'm speaking to someone who has other people in the home with me that, that aren't going to be spending time and figuring all this out. But if you make a simple scene for them, that says, turn all the lights downstairs off and you put that in there. They open it up. They see that they know exactly what it means. They push the button and it happens. And then suddenly you're a hero because you figured out a way to make it easy for them to turn all the lights off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can also use zones and areas in HomeKit to, to, you know, have things in like an outdoor zone and a downstairs yeah. um, area and upstairs area, which then do magically work. But if you've got a scene with that name, it, it overrides it. Um, the other thing I'll say is, historically speaking, running a scene, which could control any number of devices, has been more uh, more reliable than running an automation that controls those same devices. Don't ask me why. I have never really gone into the details of this because it's very hard to debug HomeKit. But it seemed for a very long time, as far as I understand it, is still the case that an automation that would say turn off two lights um, and um, I don't know, close the blind um, or open the blind perhaps um, would be more likely to fail or just not quite work right. Like maybe the blind wouldn't open or one of the lights wouldn't turn off versus a scene that also did the same thing. So it would turn off two lights and open the blind. Um, historically speaking, scenes have always been more reliable. So set yourself up for success, create a scene, then you can press the button to test the scene. You don't have to have your scenes as favorites. You can unfavorite them and then you'll only see them in the rooms where the devices that they control are yeah. in the home app. Um, but yeah, if, if, you, if you've got your scenes, then you're going to be ready to go and automation ready and just hopefully very happy with your HomeKit success. All right. What are some other tips, Rose? Well, uh, uh, one I've got to recommend, HomePass. And then a second one is going to be Home Batteries. And I'll get to that one in a second. Um, so that little QR code that we talked about scanning at the start um, that you use to add devices to HomeKit, before you go and plug that thing in somewhere really difficult and weird and awkward to access, 
do yourself a favor, download the HomePass app, scan the code and stick it in HomePass with, you know, use HomePass to store it and do that with all of your smart home devices that have got a HomeKit um, barcode thingy on them. Um, If it uses NFC, HomePass can read that as well. It can read meta, set up things. It can store all of this stuff. Do yourself a favor and do that right now. I don't care if you've had HomeKit set up for four years and everything's fine, or if you have not yet got HomeKit set up, HomePass is critical because if something goes wrong and you have to unpair and repair it, crawling under the stairs and through the spider's webs to get to the, I don't know, like weird plug place where you put this only to find that the sticker fell off and now you don't have the sticker anymore is going to be aggravating. Um, And if anything does go wrong and you need to unpair something and repair something, being able to sit on your sofa and just open the code on your iPad and scan it on your iPhone, for example, um, it's going to make your life so much easier. So 10 out of 10, 20 out of 10 recommend HomePass. Um, The developer has a number of other really great little HomeKit utility apps as well, which I recommend. And the other app I'm going to recommend comes with um, a warning of anything that has a battery, have spares. Anything that needs recharging, make sure you've got a couple of those cables in like a little bag that you've just labeled for charging HomeKit stuff so that you you don't have to run around the house purloining random cables from other places. Get the Home Batteries app. Home Batteries is all one word um, with a capital B on the batteries. Um, Allow it to access your home stuff and then just open it every so often. David, you said you do this twice a year when you check the smoke alarms. By the way, HomePods can listen to smoke alarms now and send you a notification when they hear the smoke alarm go off. Yeah. Uh, my mom helped me test this by burning some toast the other day. Um, was not quite the the test that we were looking for. Um, I was thinking that it'd light a candle or something and blow it out and set the smoke alarm off like that way. But uh, yeah, she decided to go with the burning toast approach. But it turns out it worked very well for uh, setting uh, <laughs> setting off the the uh, HomePods to uh, after they detected the smoke sensors. If it makes you feel better, I I run the burning toast approach often, so that's good. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, just like you check your smoke alarm sensors a couple of times a year, you should be checking your batteries. Now, home batteries also comes with widgets, so you can have a widget on your home screen to tell you what batteries are low. Um, but it's it's a great little utility that will just say, hey, FYI, uh, like my rain gauge that's outside, it's not even properly HomeKit supported. It's a lovely Netatmo rain gauge. It works really well in the Netatmo app. It's connected to my Netatmo weather station, which is fully HomeKit supported. But either way, you know that. That is a 25% battery. So that's considered low battery. The good news is it's been out there for like two and a half years. So I feel like it's probably got a while to go before I need to replace the batteries in that. Um, but, you know, my my right patio uh, door lock is down to 53% battery. So I'm going to double check that I've got the AA batteries ready to replace those when, when I need it. Pretty certain I do. Um, but yeah, check. And uh, if something's running low, replace the batteries now, not later. That last little percent on the batteries will either last forever or last no time at all. It, it, and it's going to be one of the extremes. It'll last for six months or it'll last for six minutes. Um, so yeah, I, I vote for being pre proactive. Preemptively replacing batteries is a good thing or recharging batteries is a good thing. You don't want your blinds to suddenly stop opening and closing because they're out of battery. And uh, then you don't wake up in the morning and you're late for work or something. Not that I'm speaking from experience recently. Definitely not. <laughs> No, I, I think that's great. And I guess I would add to it, if you're going to go down the HomeKit rabbit hole, keep, just get a plastic bin and like you're going to get little bits of detritus. Like when you buy a device, there may be some mounting things that you may want someday or the little manuals with the QR codes. And I know you're going to scan them, but it doesn't hurt to keep them too. And in that 
in that bin, just get every time you get a new device, check the battery. It's usually one of these watch battery formats of one kind or another. And I just buy a box, a, um, a pack of them from Amazon and I just get a marker and write on the outside. These are for the air tags. These are for the car sensors or whatever. And I put, I put it on there. So then when I need to replace batteries, I just go to the bin, pull them out. We have like a battery space in the house where we keep batteries that we all access, but I don't let the family see my home kit batteries. I keep them in the separate bin and that way I know they're always there. Yeah. I have something similar. I use, um, the, the, they're like plastic mesh zip bags. Um, so like the mesh is encased in plastic on both sides. So it's like mostly, mostly see-through, but obviously there's the mesh to reinforce the plastic. And I have a whole bunch of those and I label them with, you know, what things are. I, I also use this for my cable management, by the way, free bonus tip for folks. Um, you know, if you've got a whole bunch of USB-A to USB-C cables, well, I know they're in the bag labeled USB-A to USB-C cables. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I put things in there and label them. You can just stick a post-it note inside the the like little wallet thing. Um, Ziploc bags are also great for like keeping like the the, the mounting stickers together with the manual and the uh, extra uh, home kit um, code that they they might give you or something that you can easily label just write on it in a sharpie um, but yeah definitely find like a little way to keep stuff like that you can do your best to keep it minimal i also vote for downloading the pdf versions of any manuals because that way you can get rid of them um uh but yeah you you could yeah just have have a little space where you've got stuff like that ready to go um and uh also, I'm going to give folks a, another little bonus when it comes to recharging things. Um, you can recharge stuff from battery packs if it's not totally flat. So, uh, for example, my curtains uh, need recharging every once in a while. Um, yeah, my curtain motors need I recharging. My curtains I, need I recharging. I didn't comment, but I loved it when you said it. Yeah, yeah, my curtains need recharging. It's, it's the the motors on the curtain rails that need recharging rather than the curtains themselves. The, the fabric seems fine. I, I don't think it needs any USB-C. Um, but what I often do is... Um, you know, I could take the motors down and and take them off and plug them in and charge them and then take them back. But instead, because with home batteries, I see when they're down to like 20% or so, um, I just grab a nice big battery pack, grab the the cables, which, you know, I've got labeled, uh, ready to go. And they're nice long cables, stick a battery pack on the windowsill and plug it, plug the, uh, the, the motors in and voila, off we go. Um, now I have also got solar panels on my current, uh, motors, so I really need to charge them. Uh, but that said UK weather being UK weather, especially <laughs> we didn't have summer this year, David, I feel like we had like a couple of weeks of summer in June and that was it. It's, it's, uh, August and I feel like it's almost October weather-wise. Rose, um, but... <laughs> Rose, we had over the weekend, a hurricane and an earthquake here. So I saw. Yeah. I, I, I'm British. We complain about the weather. This is what we do. Um, or we talk about it at all times anyway, because it's constantly changing. Uh, but yeah, so even though I have solar panels, um, you know, it's not perfect, but being able to plug in a, a battery pack into things, um, you know, I take the power to the device instead of the device to the power also means that I don't have to transport it back uh, later and remember to plug it in and so on. Um, I also have for my IKEA blinds, um, I bought a spare battery from Ikea. So when one of them is running low, uh, I charge the spare battery and I chuck it into the blind and I take that battery and charge it up. Um, this way, if I, if I, you know, mess up, uh, charging it when I take it out or something, then I, I, I know it's fully charged. But usually what happens is I go to charge it and it's like, Hey, I'm fully charged. It's like, great. Put you straight in, take one straight out. And then I don't have to remember to go and put something in and be like, why is this blind like open? It's like, 11 p.m. at night. It shouldn't be open at 11 p.m. at night. 
Um, so yeah, it's uh, spare batteries, uh, extra batteries, all of those things. Uh, definitely recommend it. It's like spare ink cartridges for your printer. Uh, it's much better to have some batteries on hand and then restock as you as you use them than it is to be like, ah, I need four AAA batteries for this and I don't have them. So now I have to sp- find a spare nine volt battery to unlock my door. Mm, not great. Yeah. Ha- have batteries. One to go and one to show, as they say. You know, one of the, when I worked for Disneyland, I find that was where I learned that. Like everything at Disneyland, like there's spare parts. They're clearly listed. There's a system when the spare parts get low that new spare parts get ordered. So we never run out. And like, just like doing boat, because I worked on the Jungle Cruise, the boat maintenance and the stuff they did back there. It was, it was like watching that. It like, it like lit a fuse in my brain. It's like, yes, I want that for everything in my life. I just want that it to be that easy, you know? And it's not that hard to set up a system to do that, but you do have to have a bin or uh, OmniFocus task or some way to make sure stuff like that happens. Yeah. And it, you know, we've, with all these caveats and warnings and so on that we've been giving, we've probably made this sound bigger and more complex than it is. Really, all you have to do is just buy a decent home kit device, scan it, and voila, you're set up. Yeah. But what we're trying to do is make it easier so that you can expand things and make it better and smarter and better for yourself later. Um, I think my only parting piece of advice for people is going to be when you run into a limitation that you can't do something with HomeKit or whatever. Remember, HomeKit is limited. Apple have tried to set it up to be simple for everyone, which means for my grandmother as well as for me. The result of that is I'm going to be the one that gets very frustrated because I can't have it automatically do this thing rather than my grandmother getting frustrated because she can't figure out that this button means turn the light on versus turn the light off. Like if it's the lit up little part of the button, that's the bit you press. When you run into those limitations, that's when you end up looking outside at something like Homebridge or Home Assistant, Home Assistant being my preferred option to expand it um, and do more. But you can do a lot in HomeKit, so it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, I feel like this whole episode has been subversive because we've been telling you how to set up basic HomeKit and make it work. And both of us want you to do this and then say, okay, now what? And guess what? Yeah. Another episode of Automators, we're going to explain that to you. But we we definitely want you to go beyond vanilla HomeKit. But yeah. Yeah. if you just want to stay in HomeKit, we gave you what you needed today. We're the Automators Podcast. You can find us over at relay.fm slash automators. Uh, we've got a great forum at talk.automators.fm. Some real smart people there. I still uh, continue to Google search for automation problems that someone in our forum has answered. Or even, you know, Rose has already done it at some point. I love that. Um, the uh, I want to thank our sponsors today. That's our friends over at Vitally Electric and HelloFresh. And uh, for those of you that are Automators Max members, we're going to be talking Notion and automation next. But uh, otherwise, we'll see you next time. Goodbye, folks.